Well, I'll echo uh, Tom's words of appreciation for all of you who chose to weather the storm and to come out this morning and to, again, just to participate in the, the life of the church, the fellowship uh, that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to get right into it this morning. Um, I shared with the prayer group as we met this morning uh, in Fellowship Hall. This is going to be a bit heavy today. As, uh, we're going to let Jesus kind of work us over a little bit with his word. So uh, I, think, I think Debbie gave you a bit, a, at least a bit of a taste of what's coming. So think of that and as we approach this text, which we find in Luke 9, um, verses 23 through 27. Luke 9, 23 through 27. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, wrote these words. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Let's pray together. Father, your word is to console us. Your word is to encourage us. Your word is to shape us in the likeness of Christ. Sometimes your words are received as being heavy and hard. But as a father disciplines the child he loves, Lord, you would set before us those lessons that will shape us into the likeness of your son. May we have the heart to listen this morning. May we have the heart to follow this morning. May we have the heart to adopt a life that is set before us by the example of Jesus Christ. Speak to us Speak to us clearly through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to recognize and hopefully accept what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, it has the appearance that we have skipped over quite a bit of scripture here as we were in chapter 5 last week, and all of a sudden, here we are in chapter 9. I would encourage you to go at your leisure to go back and read through what has taken place since we uh, left the, uh, the paralytic picking up his mat and praising God and going home. The chapters and verses that we have passed over reveal the fact that great crowds have been assembled time and time again to simply be in the company of Jesus, to hear Jesus, to receive his healings, to witness his miracles, to follow Jesus. 
And it's out of these crowds, these followers of Jesus, that he, the Lord himself, completes the selection of those whom he will call as his apostles, first disciples and then apostles. Disciples simply means the one who follows. Apostle means the one who is sent. And so we can understand the transition now as Jesus is working in the lives of these men, those who are following him, to be the place where they can soon be sent out on his behalf and on on behalf of the gospel. Our text we just read is preceded by the accounts where Jesus did send out his apostles to proclaim, and I quote John or Luke 9, 2, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And upon the return, when these apostles had this, this experience of really being entrusted with the word, they come back and they report to Jesus. And we read, the apostles told him all the things that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus is celebrating this time of discovering the lives of his disciples. And he recognizes that he has been a taxing ministry. And he also recognizes that there have been times that they have not even had time to eat. And so now he wants to get away with them for a while. And so they go to this town called Bethsaida. But then we read on, when the crowds learned it, (laughs) they followed him. No escape. The crowds pressing on and on to be near Christ. This crowd particularly now that is following Jesus when the disciples are trying to get away with their Lord, it becomes the crowd that forms the 5,000 that Jesus feeds the miracle of of the five loaves and the two fish. Luke gives us a bit of a transition, a little bit different than the other Gospels that have recorded this account, uh, Matthew and Mark. Luke points out that now as the the noise of the crowd has died down and, and the busyness of the day has kind of come to a lull, we read that Jesus has just finished praying. And then, in a conversation with his 12, he poses a question. More than one question. Two, three, four questions. And we want to look at them briefly. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, and I think the, the responses could come from any one or a number of the disciples as they are, are responding to Jesus' inquiry. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, they think you might be one of the prophets of long ago that has come back to life. Then Jesus begins to press a bit here. And the, the inquiry becomes a little bit more personal when he asks this. But what about you? Who do you say I am? He's directing that question to what appears to be his disciples. But again, if you look at the uh, the record in, in, in Matthew and in Mark, it has the appearance that others are also nearby. But it's Peter who responds. Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are our hope. You are the one sent by God to save Israel. You are our Messiah. You are our Savior. Upon Peter's declaration, Jesus says, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And once more, just imagine now he's turning to Peter. Not just Peter alone, but again, as the other Gospels indicate, and it reads in our text today, he said to all, all those who would listen, all those who would hear what he wants to say, he says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus wasn't addressing just the 12. Jesus was addressing anyone who would choose to follow him. Jesus wants the crowd to know that if you want to follow me, you're going to have to step out of the crowd. You're going to have to abandon the things that somehow is important to the crowd. You're going to have to separate yourself from the things that the crowd define as important. In other words, you're going to step out of that world and you're going to enter into a world that is shaped in the likeness of the kingdom of God. Your thoughts are no longer about yourself. Your thoughts now are on the kingdom of God. Your thoughts are on the one who has been sent by God, Jesus himself. Your thoughts are on what is to come through self-denial. We're not real comfortable with these words, self-denial. And and maybe we don't even understand what that means. And I I had to kind of work it over for myself a little bit. I went to one of my favorite commentators, and that's William Barclay. And and this is how he defines his self-denial. He says, to deny ourselves is to say, I do not know myself. (laughs) It is to ignore the very existence of oneself. It is to treat the self as if it did not exist. Usually we we treat ourselves as if our self was the most important thing in the world. If we are to follow Christ, we must forget that self exists. When denying oneself, it simply means surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We renounce self-centeredness of self-indulging, self-pleasing lifestyle of all the things that somehow is going to make our lives more comfortable, thinking somehow it's wrapped up in this faith that we call Christianity, comes far short of what Jesus is asking here. But let's read the rest of the charge. You are to take up your cross daily. When we confess Christ, we embrace Jesus dying on the cross for us. We we have that image, we have that, that confidence of what was accomplished for us on the cross. But we must also accept the reality of the cross for ourselves. Now, the cross was not an unknown image to the Jews of the time of Christ. They would be reminded many, many times of what the penalty was coming against Roman rule. As the streets would be lined with people hung up on trees, crosses, to demonstrate again their, their shortcomings, their, their failures, their rebellion. What was a familiar instrument of suffering and shame and cruel death at the time of Christ, as Jesus pointed to the cross, would certainly be good reason 
to reconsider this invitation to follow him who is already resolute and set toward Jerusalem to go to the cross. Our concept of what it means to bear one's cross for Christ, I believe, has been watered down by a self-serving gospel that simply is shaped to embrace what we need in our lives and spare us of the real cost of discipleship. Kent Hughes, in his um, two-volume work on Luke, entitled, That You May Know the Truth, I think, again, provides some words that kind of helps us understand this whole thing about the cross, of what it means to you and to me as Jesus intended. He writes, and I quote, What are our crosses? They are not simply trials or hardships. Some think of a nutty boss or an unfair teacher or a bossy mother-in-law as a cross. But they are not. Neither can we properly call an illness or a handicap a cross. A cross results from specifically walking in Christ's steps, embracing his life. It comes from bearing disdain because we are following the narrow way of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life It comes from living out the ethics of Christ in the marketplace, in the community, the family, and the world. It comes from standing true in difficult circumstances for the sake of the gospel. Our crosses come from and are proportionate to our dedication to Christ. Difficulties do not indicate cross-bearing, but there will be difficulties for the sake of Christ as we take up the cross. Matthew and Mark, as they've included this narrative in their Gospels, leave out one word that Luke picked up, set before us. It's Luke who refers to this self-denial and the cross bearing for Jesus to be done on a daily basis. I'll, I'll read again from our text. If anyone would come after me, he... Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Our walk with Jesus has got to be more than just an occasional stroll. Our proclamation of being a follower of Jesus is not a part-time commitment. Too many Christians have made the daily moment-by-moment practice of faith a convenience instead of a necessity where Jesus fits into my busy schedule. How do, how do I make time for Jesus? Jesus is the, is the giver of time. We are living a life that looks like, and I use this point, this word, which I ran across just this week, and I love it. We're, we're living a life that looks Christianish. Christianish. You know what it is to be childish? It's to act like a child. You know what it's like to be foolish? It's to act foolishly. To act like a fool. You know what it is to be Christianish? It is to act like a Christian. This word was introduced to me by uh, Justin Jenkins. 
Now, I'm not campaigning for Facebook here, folks. But I did put this on Facebook because I thought it was a good one. This is what he says. We are Christianish when God's instructions are suggestions. We are Christianish when the Bible is an asset, not an authority. We are Christianish when Jesus is our Savior, but not our Lord. We are Christianish when we see church as encouraging and not essential. We are Christianish when we pray out of desperation and not for a desire of communion. Self-denial is not easy. Years ago, when I, Jan and I were working at the Avent Christian Village in Dowling Park, on staff at the Village Church, I preached a message using the text from Luke 14, 26, and 27. This is how it reads. Now again, keep self-denial in mind here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Following the service that morning, as I would go out in the foyer on a typical Sunday and greet people as they were leaving the sanctuary, there was a dear lady, a dear, dear friend, a beautiful Christian woman, with tears in her eyes, said to me, Pastor, I could never follow a God who would tell me that I would have to hate my father and mother. I didn't do a very good job explaining that text, evidently. And I tried even again to let her know what the priorities were in life. It wasn't the word hate. It was an identity of what we loved more that being Jesus himself. Maybe to appreciate the text and what Luke is saying, in some ways, I think, in Matthew's gospel, the parallel to this text might help us to understand it a bit better. Matthew writes it this way. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, follow me is not worthy of me. I don't know if that makes it a little bit more palatable, or we can make more accepting that we can buy into that. But, but the challenge is still there, and it's real. And I can remember a conversation again, having with Ann and, and Steve Lay, former missionaries to Japan. They were visiting the community because their mom and dad lived there. And in, in that visit, Steve shared with me that the hardest thing required of him and his family in responding to the call to go to Japan was to convince his parents, godly parents, that he and Ann and the children felt prompted to become missionaries, meaning that they would take the kids out of school, meaning that he would surrender his professorship at the university, meaning that he was uprooting everything that was substantial, even leaving the house which was right across the street from mom and dad. (laughs) Florence was not happy, Steve's mom. And she shared with me later that for almost a year, she was bitter toward God. 
And she was angry with the denomination for calling Steve and Ann to go on the field. She couldn't make sense of the fact that why couldn't Steve and Ann and the kids stay right here and continue their ministry in the Aurora Evan Christian Church and, and he continue his ministry to students at the Aurora University and, and they continue their work in the community as really examples of Christ. Why? Why do they have to give up the house and go across the seas to, to minister to people we don't even know? <laughs> it didn't take long after Steve and Ann were on the field. And I believe because Florence had a missionary heart. Matter of fact, it was her dream even as a child someday to be a missionary to where? Japan. She came to, to the point that she could buy in and support wholeheartedly what Steve and Ann and the kids were doing on the field. Self-denial, and is isn't easy. Coming against even some of the advice of those we love so much. It's part of the deal, though, folks, if we're following Christ. Jesus said, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Free hands. We don't hold on to anything as disciples of Christ. He entrusts it to us for us to yield it to him in service. It's not ours. We're simply stewards of what's been given to us. Be it those things that are material, be it those, those elements of life itself that define who we are, our stations in life, whatever it might be. Self-denial and the cross, it doesn't get easier. Remember the, 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 uh, Hughes' statement of it, it's proportionate. The more we vest ourselves in Christ, the more it's going to be demanded of us to surrender. Or do the reverse. The more we surrender for the sake of Christ, the more we could be tested even greater. I want to, I want to read some scripture here, here to you. And, and I know that reading scripture can be laborious for the, for the hearer. <laughs> But so I'm going to suggest this. I'm going to tell you where it's found. And you got pew Bibles in front of you. Some of you brought your Bibles. So if you want to follow along, so it makes a little bit more sense, I encourage you to do so. The other thing I'm going to suggest is I give you these references. If nothing else, maybe you'll just write them down and you go home and you'll read them again. Because this is the essence of what it means to, to deny oneself and to take up the cross daily. It begins with Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. I'm going to give you some time to find it because this is good stuff. <laughs> Hard, but good, but good. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Paul's writing to the churches, the church in Philippi. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul cashed it all in. 
or what was to be found in Christ and Christ alone. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Listen to this. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes on to write in the second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, and this is um, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 12. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 12. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The more we surrender to Christ, the more we are of ourselves willing to not just deny, but let die, is then filled with the very life of Christ, the old nature dying to take on the new nature. The old likeness to the world taking on the likeness of the new life in Christ. I don't know how many, I'm sure most of you in here remember the name Jim Elliott. He was one of five missionaries that went into Ecuador to minister to the Aucan Indians. All five were martyred. All five lost their lives in that effort. When Jim Elliott was preparing for that missionary journey while he was still in college, he wrote these words. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We give up this old life to claim a new life. This life will be lost. This life is perishable. But we put on the imperishable. We take on the likeness of Christ. As we die, we will be resurrected in his likeness. We can't lose that as disciples of Christ. I think the best conclusion to this message is for us to take an inventory. Yeah, we can take an inventory and all the stuff we got to give up, all the stuff we got to let go. But let's take an inventory on what we have, what we receive by that self-denial, what is ours through the cross, the cross that Jesus took for us and the cross that we pick up for him. I want you to turn to Romans 8, 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. This is it. This, this, is, this is all ours as we take on the likeness of Christ, the cross and self-denial. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is it? At the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things yet to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, teach us what it means to deny oneself. Show us the cross that we can bear for you. May we not take an inventory of the things we have to give up, but instead let us rejoice in the things that are gained by following Jesus. This life is lost to the world. But this life is renewed and recovered and restored in the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.